And then you look around and you see there are no shortage of books. There are no shortage of social media accounts. There are no shortage of YouTube videos. There are no shortage of apps. There's no shortage of technological advances. Like we live in an age in so many ways of abundance and sometimes that abundance can work against you and other times that abundance should help people. There is no reason, not that everyone should be healthy, but that more people shouldn't be getting healthier. But then when you look at the statistics, right? Right. And you can be critical about BMI and stuff, but it's directionally accurate, right? Three-fourths of the country, 75% of the people in the U.S. are overweight or obese, right? right? So you can beat up that number all you want, but it just means the majority of people are less healthy than they want to be. Forget aesthetic goals. That's just like, we have all these resources, all of these tools, and people are not healthy. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Dr. Joey Munoz Show. I know that every single week I say, this is an amazing episode, a uh, conversation that I had with so-and-so, but I truly, I truly mean this, that so far, I think this has been my absolute favorite conversation so far. Um, today's episode is an incredible conversation I had with a friend of mine, Adam Bornstein. For those of you guys that don't know Adam, he is a New York Times bestseller. He's written a number of books and his most recent book, You Can't Screw This Up, is essentially detailing how people have to think about nutrition and fitness to actually achieve weight loss, improve health without having to drastically change up their lifestyle. And in fact, how to do so while still enjoying themselves, which is an incredibly important component of having long-term success with health improvement. We went over a ton of stuff on this episode, including the appropriate mindset that you should have when it comes to nutrition and fitness. We talked about why most people fail to maintain weight loss long-term. Why do so many people lose weight, gain weight, lose weight, gain weight? We talked about what's wrong with most dieting approaches or dieting methodologies in, in the modern world. And then we really talked about some practical stuff in terms of how can you still, for example, eat out two or three times a week and stay on track with your health and what types of foods you should be focusing on when you eat out and how to make small modifications to your diet that don't feel restrictive, but help you lose weight and improve your health. Honestly, this episode is an absolute goldmine. I'll probably save this as a reference to share with people whenever they tell me that they really want to improve their health or lose fat or whatever. Like this is an amazing episode. So I hope you guys absolutely enjoy it. Before we get into it, if you've been enjoying the podcast so far, please take a second to rate the podcast on whatever podcasting app you're using, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever. Just make sure it's a five-star rating. <laughs> no, all jokes aside, guys, um, leaving a rating for the podcast helps me tremendously. And if you leave a review, I will virtually thank you and virtually um, really appreciate you because I love hearing back from you guys in terms of what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more about, what perhaps you don't enjoy. That feedback helps me tremendously. At the end of the day, the purpose of this podcast is to serve you. And the best way to serve you is to get feedback from you. So if you wouldn't mind leaving a review or leaving a comment on YouTube, if you're on YouTube, subscribe to my channel. Um, yeah, I'd really appreciate it. Anyways, I'll stop rambling now. Let's go ahead and get into the episode. And I hope you enjoy. Adam, my friend, how are you doing today? Thank you for taking time to be on the show. I am doing great. My kids are out of the house. They're in camp. I have a few hours of silence and I'm, I'm ready to talk. Yeah, isn't that nice? You and I were just talking before this about parenting, right? Um, and I, you're obviously in a very different stage than I am where I'm still, I guess, quote unquote, getting my feet wet. 
You're not sleeping. You're not sleeping at all. So you are at a very I'm different not sleeping. stage. Yes. You know, and I, I don't love... sleep. It's because of stress and worrying about if my kids are okay. Yeah. You're literally not sleeping because your child is awake. So the past couple nights is like the first time I've actually stepped away from the bedroom and gone to sleep on the couch in the middle of the night because I'm like, I need to wake up in the morning and I need to be productive. And I can't do that if I don't sleep. It's been tough, but I'm sure time obviously passes fast and hopefully the baby will be sleeping soon. Um, but yeah, man, and I'd love to talk about parenting and, and fitness perhaps later in this episode too, because I feel like that's something people really struggle with. It's one of the questions I usually get on social media when I post stuff about my kid. People are like, how are you a dad? And you can still focus on nutrition. You can still focus on fitness. And undoubtedly, it's more difficult, right? Because yes. you have more stress, you have more responsibilities, you have less time. Um, but there's still a ton of things that you can do to stay on top of your fitness and your nutrition. I think one of those things that you'll probably talk about is expectations, right? Not trying to uh, perhaps achieve or compare yourself to some of the people you see on social media and being a little bit more realistic with those things. Yeah, um, and not comparing yourself to your life pre-kid. I think that <laughs> yeah. we conflate different as bad or yes. we conflate uh, less as ineffective. And mm -hmm. as a parent, like anything else, you learn to make more of your time and you truly get a good sense of, what things that you do that kind of have an asymmetrical return. That is when you have more time on your hands, you can do a bunch of stuff and you're really not sure what's moving the needle the most, but you yeah. feel better, you look better. When you get compressed for time, whether you're a parent or otherwise, you, if you're willing to listen and pay attention, you find out what has the highest return and then you just double down on those things. And in some ways it becomes a blessing in disguise because you learn how to use your time and you learn what really makes the biggest difference for your health. Yeah. There's nothing like learning about efficiency when you're forced to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that, yeah. I mean that, is, that is the forcing functions are a pain and they're also a beautiful yeah. thing because they give you no other option other than to figure it out or crash and burn. And for most people, I think they fear they're going to crash and burn, but, um, People underestimate themselves, I've found quite a bit. Certainly, you know, and I always think I'm like, man, I wish I was this efficient before I had a kid. That would have been nice. I think every stage in life, it was like you, when you're doing it, you're like, man, I used to have it so easy back yeah, then. And yeah. I thought it was so difficult. And like, we're just, when you're in the moment, yeah. that is, that is the moment. Yeah. Well, you know, I heard about you for the first time, Adam, because I was speaking with a mentor of mine. Um, similar conversation to what you and I were having before this in terms of like career paths that I wanted to take and people perhaps that I should uh, model or or see what they've done for their career. And my mentor mentioned you as well as a, uh, a couple of other people, Mike Matthews, and then you and I connected on Instagram because what I really want to do is bring nutrition and fitness to the general population, right? To the normal a uh, full-time employee, working mom and dad who doesn't have hours a week to spend in the gym, but still wants to be healthy and still wants to honestly look good, right? Because yes, we all care about our health, but we also want to look good, right? Right. And I think that's something that you've written about beautifully in your new, new book. And I really appreciate you reaching out and sending me a copy of your book. Admittedly, I have not gotten through the entire thing, but I've gotten through the majority of it. And um. As you and I were speaking, one of the things that I really appreciated about your book is the way you started the book, right? Rather than focusing, first off, the name, you can't screw this up, and the whole book being about fat loss and health, 
right? Uh, the the title is very appealing. You have a picture of an ice cream bar uh, on the front page, but then you start reading and you start off by mainly talking about mindset, right? The idea that this isn't a race, this isn't, you know, focusing on your nutrition or your fitness is not a means to an end, is not something that you do for a period of time to achieve an outcome and then you stop. But instead, it's a lifestyle and you should be thinking about it from that perspective to have long-term success, which is one of the things I really try to emphasize with all of my clients. Everybody that comes like, are you going to give me the perfect meal plan, the perfect workout? And I'm like, no, we're going to work on habit formation. We're going to work on developing small little things that are going to improve your health. So I really appreciated that um, you started your book in that in that fashion in the first place. What was your inspiration for the book? Uh, tw- 20 years of watching people struggle and be frustrated. Yeah. And, you know, I think if you zoom out, right, if you take a step back and you, you look at the number of people who struggle with their health, mm-hmm. right, or struggle to lose weight or struggle to figure out what will work for them, not in a short period of time, right? I, you know, it's not just what I think, you know, research, lots of research shows that like weight loss actually isn't complicated. There are so many different methods that people can lose weight. And most people who have gone on a diet actually do lose weight. The problem is they do not sustain that weight loss. So the question is no longer, you know, what does it take for me to lose weight? Correct. The question is, why can't I sustain that weight loss? And then you look around and you see, there are no shortage of books. There are no mm-hmm. shortage of social media accounts. There are no shortage of YouTube videos. There are no shortage of apps. There's no shortage of technological advances. Like we live in an age in so many ways of abundance. And sometimes that abundance can work against you. And other times that abundance should help people. There is no reason, not that everyone should be healthy, but that more people shouldn't be getting healthier. But then when you look at the statistics, right? Right. And you can be critical about BMI and stuff, but it's directionally accurate, right? Three-fourths of the country, 75% of the people in the US are overweight or obese, right? right? So you can beat up that number all you want, but it just means the majority of people are less healthy than they want to be. Forget aesthetic goals. That's just like, we have all these resources, all of these tools, and people are not healthy. Why? And when you start looking at all these resources, they kind of go about it the exact same way, which is trying to identify the perfect diet or trying to identify the magic bullet or the magic pill or the silver bullet, insert whatever the like the one size fits all solution is for everyone. And then you start realizing through all of this that not only are we trying to push people in one single direction irrespective of all the different variables. As we were just talking about, being a parent is a huge variable. Your food environment is a big variable. Your genetics, admittedly, which you're talking about in the book, is a variable. It is not a limitation to you getting healthier, but is definitely a consideration that you should know about. And I think you see a lot of false expectations. You see a lot of marketing and selling as opposed to actually helping people become better. You see a lack of teaching people how to build habits, which is sustainable. But what's missing almost completely is that everything becomes about the body and nothing is about the mind. Mm -hmm. And I've been working with you. I've been, you know, we were talking beforehand. I have been training people now for 23 years. Oh, wow. And you work with people for that long and you realize at some point, the psychological barriers are far bigger than the physical ones. 
Certainly. And the bigger the psychological barrier, the harder the physiological friction or process becomes. And the more you set these false expectations, the more people internalize, beat themselves up, catastrophize so that, you know, it's, it's a cliche quote, you know, where the mind goes, the body will follow, but it's also very, very true. And you start seeing all these plans that are pushing restriction or perfection, or we talk about lifestyle. I have a line in the book that literally says like every diet wants to consider themselves a lifestyle, Mm -hmm. but how many of these diets actually ask you what you want your life to look like. And my guess is that most people don't want their life to look like something where they have to be perfect every day, where they can never eat the foods that they enjoy, where everything is completely dictated by a meal plan and anything that deviates from that meal plan is considered bad or terrible or toxic or how much do people want to be stressing every single time they go to eat because they're just anxious of like, am I going to do the right thing? Am I going to be hungry? Did I eat enough? And you add all of this up and you realize that, wow, so many of these plans truly are making people feel like they're going to screw up. And when you are in that mindset, the moment that you screw up, one of two things happens. A, you get a case of, excuse me, language of the fuckets. And yeah. you just like, you, you say, I've screwed it up. I can't do anything well. And you catastrophize and you, you spiral, right? Out of control where you just, you stop exercising, you eat whatever you want because you think you screwed up. Or you try and compensate by overcompensating, right? I had dessert last night, so I got to work out three times the next day. I'm fasting for the next 24 hours. And all this does is just accelerate the process of burnout. So you inevitably end in that case where you just say, screw it, I can't do it. Yeah. And you, you get to that point of, how do we prevent people from ever getting to that point in the first place? How do we get them to not think that they're always screwing up and also realizing, more importantly, that the things that they've been told are screw-ups. The things that they've yeah. been told are these like fatal mistakes that cause you to have to reset, reset, reset. How many diets are the insert blank here, reset plan, right? We live in a reset society. We're constantly like taking one step forward, 10 steps back. But like, what if you actually didn't have to take a step back? What if yeah. what you thought was a screw-up was actually a normal part of the process as long as you didn't overreact to what you did. And I wanted to write a book about that. I wanted to write a book that took people away from like trying to push towards this perfection. Stop focusing like, what is the right plan? Because I'm going to show you there are so many plans, so many different things work. And then how can we build a more resilient, a more gritty mindset? One that is also more tolerant of the human aspects of living, right? The fact that like, you're going to have hard days. You're not always going to be able to cook meals. You're going to crave certain foods. When you do healthier behaviors, everything might not suddenly get easier, right? There's this illusion of the moment you start you know, eating healthier, you no longer crave the bad things. You want to exercise yeah. every day. Really and when that good. doesn't happen, people are like, what's wrong with me? And you hear yeah. that over and over and you truly empathize with people. And I wanted to take away that guilt and that shame so that people could be healthier and it was not easier figuring out how to write this book because that's a lot, right? That was a long rant, but yeah. that, it was like, write that book or bust because I've written a lot of books. I've ghostwritten a lot of books. I've written a lot of books of my own. And at some point you have to take a step back and be like, I had great intentions, but am I truly doing the best I can to help people navigate what is like such a difficult thing for people? And that that's what I wanted to solve for. Yeah. I, one difficulty there I can relate to is definitely how to organize information in a product you're trying to deliver. That's probably the hardest part because similarly, I have all these thoughts of things that I want to uh, deliver to my clients or in a course. Like I'm, I'm working on developing a digital course currently. And it's like, 
what goes first, what goes second, how do you organize it so it's delivered the best? But most people can't relate to that. You mentioned two things that are uh, great points that I was thinking about, experiences that I've had with my clients that demonstrate those points um, perfectly. And these experiences I've had numerous times with several clients, uh, one of them being if they, quote unquote, had a bad day where they overate, let's say they went to dinner, et cetera, and indulged. And then inevitably they asked me like, oh, should I purposefully eat four or 500 calories less over the next three or four days? Or should I do right. more exercise? And it's, you know, it's difficult to answer that question because I think the answer depends on where the person is in their health and fitness journey. Like myself, I feel very comfortable perhaps reducing the amount of food I eat the next day because from a psychological perspective, I'm not doing it as a form of punishment. Right. right. Especially if I have a particular goal I'm trying to achieve or or whatever, like I can make those changes to my diet because I've been doing this for a very long time and it doesn't affect me negatively. However, for most of the people that I work with, I know they're doing it as like a form of punishment or like I'm now off track with the goals that we set. Should I do this? And I always talk about the idea that, like you mentioned, you don't need to take a step back or do anything crazy. Just get back on track with what you were doing before and having these periods of times or days where you eat more actually helps with long-term adherence. If you simply right. just give yourself to give yourself permission to enjoy yourself maybe once a week or you're going on vacation for a weekend and you're not super stressed about what you eat, that helps so much with long-term adherence. Right. And there was another thing I was going to mention. Um and I totally blanked right now. So maybe it'll come back a little bit <laughs> later. But what I wanted to ask you is, you know, you mentioned a ton of like these um negative mindset or negative thought process that people have around certain behaviors. So how do we begin to shift that? How should people really be thinking about nutrition and fitness if they're trying to improve their health for the long term? I say like where we think it's going to start is different than where it should start. And a lot of it begins with self-perception, right? Because there's this fundamental uh, psychological idea of cognitive dissonance. And all you need to know right. about dissonance is that like if your mind is not aligned with your behavior, something has to right. get either you're going to change your mindset or you're going to change your behavior. And a lot of people walk around thinking that they are not healthy, right? Or that they can't stick to a plan or that, yes. you know, the, the title of this book was changed because I put 500 people through this program. Because if there's one thing I've learned after doing books for 15 plus years, it's a test the program on real people to make sure that you actually get the desired outcome. And then B, get feedback from people so you understand how to effectively communicate what it is that you want. And there was a, yeah, everyone was in a Slack group and all the DMs I would get were almost the exact same thing of some iteration of, I'm going to screw this up. I know I'm going to mess this up. And these would mostly be people, this is in the early going on that are seeing success. I'm down five pounds, I'm down 10 pounds. I've worked out two weeks in a row for the first time in like a year. And they're like, but I know I'm going to screw this up. Yeah. And at some point, this does become a self-fulfilling prophecy that if you don't think you're good enough or you don't think you're healthy enough or you don't think you're capable of doing these things, it's only a matter of time before that mindset leads you in the direction of the behavior that you're trying to avoid. So changing self-perception is really important. And that goes along the lines of like changing what takes to become healthy. Because while change is difficult for everyone and anyone, 
and brings discomfort in any scenario. The path that most people think they need to take to become healthier is not what it actually looks like. People make this look much harder, much more difficult, much more restrictive, much more painful than it actually is. So then we believe if we are not going through that suffering, that we must be doing something wrong. And when you talk about habit-based change, it is built on a foundation of a very simple concept, and that is make it so easy that it's hard to fail. And that doesn't mean that everything you do is going to be easy, but it does mean the initial habits that you want to build to create this stable foundation of change right. should be the type of things that you can repeatedly do, knowing that like, if you're kind of do the go slow to go fast approach, yeah. these things that become automatic are going to serve you incredibly well. So I want people to change their mindset. I want them to change what they think this is going to feel like. They're like, this isn't going to go the way you think it is, right? It feels like a movie trailer. And then start focusing on smaller behaviors that it really is. Like now that I think about talking about it, I wish I'd put an analogy. It's, it's kind of like a karate kid wax and wax on, wax off, right? You're doing this yeah. stuff like, what in the world does this have to do with, yeah. you know, with, with karate right now? What does that have to do with healthy eating? I'm like, no, these little steps that you're going to take, like when you realize that when you get to a point where there is friction, where there's difficulty, you've actually built foundational behaviors that are going right. to make it better because like most of us push ourselves towards the complex. And I write about this in the book that here's one of the most messed up things about nutrition. Our brains, as wonderful as they are, can be surprisingly stupid at times just because of the way that we are wired. And what I mean by that is we react most strongly to new, novel, and complex ideas. You know, fMRI testing shows that the part of our brain that lights up and releases dopamine to push us towards a behavior is the stuff that is new, novel, or super complex. So when we hear the study about like fasting for 23.7 hours and like only eating 27.2 grams of protein is the exact yeah. thing that you need to do. It sounds way too specific and way too ridiculous. But we're going to be like, wow, that is new. That is different. That sounds amazing. That's got to work. And we conflate complicated with effective. Correct. So when you add all of that up, our brain is pushing us towards sensationalized things that just sound so crazy. Wherein, as you know, in science, science is defined effective science by two things, reliability and validity. So mm -hmm. it's the things that we know that the outcome is actually proven and has been tested over and over again, which fundamentally means that it's no longer new. It's no longer novel. And by the time you test the crap out of something, it's not as complex as it used to be because you kind of boil it down by you know, constantly having new hypotheses, right? Science is a matter of like, we have a million different questions. And if we want to say something with a high degree of certainty, not with 100% certainty, nothing's ever 100% certain in science. That's the beauty of it. We get to a point where you kind of beat it up in so many different ways that like we take the excitement out of it. And the stuff that people should do is the stuff that does not excite our brain at all because it's now boring and it's old. And the stuff that we shouldn't do is the stuff that hasn't been validated or haven't been proven to be effective. So when you add all of this up, we're constantly being pulled towards the bright, shiny object, which has a lot less certainty around it. And we follow these uh, these plans that are overly complicated because they we think that they're more effective. And all along, we've never worked on the foundational habits or behaviors that might serve us well, or even understanding what we think about ourselves or what we think about our likelihood of success, which might be this just 
huge trap door, this like just fault of the foundation of life that's going to cause you to fail on these things. And if you can work on the mindset, if you can change the expectation, and if you can let people know, right, every time this new thing comes up, you're going to be excited, you're going to want to read, but like that's the trap. And awareness sometimes can serve as education because our job isn't to rewire people so they don't react. We're humans, right? Yeah. Our job is to help people understand like when something happens, why, why it's happening so they're no longer so easily pushed around. And so they can more easily understand, oh, this is what's going on. Here's what I should be doing. This is why I'm pushed towards this behavior. And I think knowing all of those things, really starting with your mindset and expectations and how to navigate this sea of information that we all swim in makes things a lot easier, but that's that's very different than what we're taught when we, you know, over size, like we should focus on this food. We should focus on this workout program. I'm like, I would argue that most people, while they might not all the know the finer details of food, they know that in general, like fast food, less nutritious, vegetable, more nutritious. Like yes, yes. we don't have to simplify in a way where we're almost condescending in our language. We have to understand like, you know, these things. You have a general enough sense of what it takes to eat healthier, and it's still really freaking hard. And instead yeah. of blaming you, and I'm saying, saying this is all your fault, or you lack motivation, or you lack discipline, I would much rather try and sit with someone and say, why is that? Why is it that it's so hard? Then let's problem solve from the let's assume you actually know enough yeah. to be healthy. Why is it so hard to put these behaviors in place? And let's go from there so that like it becomes a little bit easier. Yeah. I mean, beautifully said, man, there's, there's so many gold nuggets there, you know, to summarize what you just mentioned, essentially focusing on habit formation is incredibly important and focusing on developing habits and starting in a place where it's easy enough to where you can actually sustain, not trying to take on too much at once, because I find that's also a big issue that people experience, right? right? It's, it's the idea of of being okay with slow and gradual exposure to things. And although you may feel really, that's, that's, that's the thing. Like people are very motivated at first, right? Super. So they're like, I want to do everything I can possibly be doing to get healthier. And I want to do it today. And although the intent is fantastic because that's where everybody starts, they don't realize that like, Hey, most likely you're not going to be able to sustain those things long-term. And in fact, if you're just okay with a little bit slower progress and just tackle one of those things at a time, it becomes substantially easier, right? One thing that you mentioned in your book that I absolutely love is that one of the reasons or the main driving reason why any of us do anything long-term to a certain degree is because it's pleasurable, right? Like, listen, I work out because I enjoy it, right? If you don't enjoy it, if there is no pleasure that comes out of a certain behavior, you're likely not going to do it forever, right? And right. ideally, we should be doing these things forever if we want to be healthy forever. And so it's like, yeah, if you take on, even if you're focusing on the right things, right? Even if you're focusing on the right things, if you try to do 20 of the right things starting tomorrow and you've never done any of those 20 things, it's going to be really hard to sustain those 20 things. Whereas if you just start on one or two and then slowly add more, a year from now, you'll be in a much better place. And people, I, I say that to my clients and they're like, a year from now, that's so long. It's like a year really isn't anything, right? Like everybody wants really fast progress as well, which is another um, completely different topic. 
I'd love to ask. But it's, but it's related because I will add this too. That's even tough, right? Because when people are very highly motivated, yeah, and if they have a, a high sense of self-efficacy, they think they can do something. And so I'm working with you and you know, you come into me and you're like, I am ready to go. I am a high achiever. You're like, I know I'm overweight or I haven't done this, but like, I am good to go. I've had my wake up call. And I'm like, hey, Joey, I'm sorry, but like you, you, you can't, you got to do one thing at a time. Yeah. Right. Even if like, I'm not delivering it like some a-hole, right. But right. I'm being like, I hear this. I'm super excited for you, but I really think one thing at a time is going to be better for you. Like, no, you don't hear me. I can handle 10. I'm good for 10. I'm probably good for 20, but I could do 10 right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the, the hard part is like our own stubbornness and our own self-belief, which is a good thing, gets in a way. So what is, what is helpful and what I try and outline is that, you know, you don't need to have a degree in nutrition science or exercise science to go ahead and become healthier. But relying upon those people's experiences is really helpful. And sometimes people with the best intent end up backing themselves in a corner. And it's part of the reason why they don't see results. And an example I've given people in my own life is, you know, 10 years ago, if I wanted people to lose weight quickly, and I even like wrote about this in one book, I might try to get people those initial results that they desire because like yeah. you're trying to build trust in people, right? Yeah. So it's just like, I can go carb starve, no carbs, high protein, high fat, and like something mildly like ketogenic that you might think. And people are going to see those results, right? Mm -hmm. Within the first four weeks, and they're going to be flying high and feeling amazing. And I'll yeah. tell people, listen, I can do this for you. And here's exactly what to expect. But then you get to that point where I've dropped your carbs down to zero. I've dropped your sugar down to zero. And it, within four weeks, you lost a bunch of weight, but you still have a bunch of weight left to lose. Mm -hmm. Where do you go? Well, yeah. Where, what am I adjusting? And I like to, I like to spell this out for people because it's why, it is why I no longer do that. And there was definitely a period of time where I did it because you got buy-in, people are excited, and you think you're doing well, but then you learn from a compliance standpoint, from a long-term yeah. standpoint, from a sanity standpoint, or right when you go completely carb-starving, the moment you go and have some bread, the scale fluctuates a bunch, you feel bloated, and it's not that you're suddenly carb-sensitive or allergic. It's literally you've had no carbs in your system, and your body's just like, oh my goodness, carbs, glycogen, water, let's absorb this, and like you would regulate in yeah. a day or two. But I'm like, yes, when you do these five, 10 things, like here's what it looks like, but I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, you're actually backing yourself into a corner yeah. where you have prematurely cut off how much you're going to be able to lose because we went so aggressive initially that we yeah. didn't see like that. I tell people the goal of weight loss for me is to show you what is the most amount that you can lose and still lose weight. Yeah. Not the least. I want you to find out what is the most yeah, amount yeah. of food I can eat and still lose weight. And then how long do you lose weight? Oh, and then it stops. Now I want to make a small adjustment. And yeah. how much can you now lose there? And it's like when you take this approach, you realize that you have a lot more leeway. You're not going to lose your mind. And the long-term trajectory is much more because there are so many more variables that we can adjust as opposed to when you adjust all those variables at once, it might seem like you're doing the right thing, but you are setting yourself up for hell. Truly. Yeah. Yeah. I want to touch on two things here because I'm sure, unfortunately, even though you just mentioned a ton of incredible information, I'm sure there's people that are hearing this and saying, I can go low carb and lose weight quickly in four weeks. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so to get a little sciencey, people don't understand that weight loss and fat loss are not synonymous. Very different. Right. And one of the reasons why people lose weight so quickly when they just cut out carbs is because you lose a ton of water weight. Right. 
for people listening, there's this thing called glycogen. It's how you store carbs in your muscles. And glycogen comes from carbohydrates. If you don't eat carbohydrates, you don't store as, as much glycogen. And so you lose a ton of water weight very, very quickly. And that's why people get so frustrated on low-carb diets, right. right? It's like, man, I did a low-carb diet and I lost 10 pounds, 15 pounds in a month. But like now it just stopped. Like what's going on? I'm not eating carbs. And it's like they don't understand it was just water weight. That leads to frustration. That leads to relapse, if we could call it that, and then going back to previous behaviors, right? So I wanted to, to mention that quickly because I don't want anybody to hear this and be like, Adam said I can go low carb and lose weight really right. quick because you're not actually, even though you lose weight quicker, you're actually losing any more fat. You're just you losing a ton of water, which is also heavy if you're losing a substantial amount of water, right? Right. And that's, and that's the thing. Like, And no one's saying that low carb diets are yeah. bad, right? It's just yes, that like, correct. they're essentially equivalent, right? Like, it's so funny. There's still all this research that comes like, which better, which is better, low carb or low fat? And I'm like, guys, that argument is so dead. It's buried yes. because the answer is neither, right? Yes. There was like a beautiful, like the diet fits two years trial where they broke down like the low carb and the low fat. And I think it was like 0.21 pounds per yes, 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 versus like 0.25. It was like four hundredths of a pound of difference. It's like, Guys, it's a rounding error. So, but yeah. it is like when people look at that short term, right? And that's another thing. If weight loss was just a, a race, weight loss, not fat loss, right? Yes, you can probably go ahead and lose quicker. But when you zoom out and you look at six month and 12 month and multi year studies, you see that it either normalizes or that people on higher carb actually do a better job because yeah. it's more sustainable, because it's more realistic. And what's also then problematic when we constantly go through this lose weight quickly gain it back, lose weight quickly, gain it back. What might also happen then is uh, metabolic adaptation can be thrown off. And that's what you've seen in the biggest loser studies where people lost all of this weight super fast because they exercised a ton, they completely restricted. And then when they gain back the weight, right, their metabolism should have upshifted, should have regulated, but we didn't see that. The hormone levels of leptin and ghrelin didn't regulate. And then the amount that people were burning per day we're several hundred calories less than it should have been because at some point I I hate the idea of like a broken metabolism because it's such a marketing myth. And like if you mess around enough and go extreme enough for a long enough period of time, you can disrupt things just by constantly playing this short term weight loss game where it's just like at some point I point out of the book, I'm like, at what point are you going to keep doing the same thing? Yeah and not get where you want. It's just like saying that you want to accrue wealth. Yeah. And it's like, I'm going to go ahead and save $1,000 the first month, and I'm never going to save $1,000 again, and I'm going to spend $1,000 every single month. At the end of the year, you're like, man, I'm in debt again. I'm in debt again. And on the surface, you're just like, oh, yeah, that's really dumb. Like, I saved a bunch of money, and then I just yeah. stopped burning money. I mean, that's dieting. Yeah, yeah, if you yeah, yeah. save a bunch of money in month one and then like you stop saving and just spend a ton of money, you're going to be in debt. And people are putting their bodies into debt because they are not willing to like look at the long term picture of how do you accrue better health in the same way that you want to think about how do I accrue better wealth? Yeah. You know, to quickly touch on the metabolic adaptation thing, and I won't go too in depth on it because I've talked a ton about this on other episodes. I'll share with you there's some really cool data. Um, perhaps showing that metabolic adaptation may be slightly exaggerated because of some methodological issues with some of these studies. Um, I'll share those with you because a lot of these studies measure metabolism right after the fat loss phase. And due to changes in body water, the body composition outcomes are actually slightly different than what they are. And that throws off like where metabolism should be versus where it is. 
It's really cool stuff. And there's some really good data showing to that. Because the reason I'm bringing this up is because I also don't want people to feel discouraged to attempt to get healthier because they have a number of times in the past and not succeeded. And then they might think right. there's something wrong with them, right? And there's some really good data showing too that just because people have yo-yo dieted in the past does not mean that they cannot improve in the future given that they start doing the right things, right? Because there is, is there is nothing yeah. in the past that prevents future success. Correct. Mine was one of that one example. There was like the biggest loser story looks like six years later, right? So it's like a yeah. six-year gap. And it was more about like people who go to extremes and never yeah. try and regulate. But the most beautiful thing about fat loss, the most beautiful thing about health, and we continue to validate this as time goes on, like it's never too late. It's never yeah. too late to go ahead and turn around from a fat loss. It's never too late to gain muscles. We didn't study the yeah. other day about people who were able to build muscle in their 90s. They surveyed people who were yeah. 91 to 97, and they were still making gains yeah, 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 in yeah. their 90s. The human body is incredible. Yeah. And that's why like, I actually don't like the narrative that you see so often, like you're this broken, helpless thing where like we just need to, we just need to fix you. And we're going to yeah. show you how to fix you. I'm like, no, that's not the issue. The fixing is like, what are we doing habitually? What are we doing behaviorally? What are we doing psychologically that puts us in a position that makes it very hard to do the thing more often than not? Something I talk about in my book is that, you know, fitness and wellness pushes you towards this idea of like trying to have these 100% weeks being perfect mm -hmm. all the time. And I said, forget that. The goal actually is never to have 100% week. If you have it, great. Congrats, yeah. Mazel Tovs. Great job. <laughs> the goal is no 0% weeks. Yeah. The goal is never where like you have that bad Monday or bad Tuesday or you have that bad meal or you skip that workout or you're feeling down on yourself and then just deciding that I'm going to torch the rest of the week. I've mentioned this many times. I think it was Spencer Nadolsky one time who mentioned that, you know, so many people go on diets and the moment they screw up, it's like getting a flat tire. And instead of being like, I need to inflate this tire, yeah, they, they go ahead and you. they slash the other three, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. As long as people have no zero percent weeks, because the reality of fitness is that people think that like the super healthy people like want to work out every day and want to eat healthy every day and PR every day. Like that's not reality. Right. Yeah. The only difference is the people who are, are healthy is that they've found ways to sustain this stuff, maybe not by being perfect, but by like just doing a minimal effective dose, just doing something or never completely throwing in the towel. And I do think that that psychological shift of like the something is better than nothing, the no 0% weeks, no weeks where you just decide to not even care about your health because yeah. you think that it doesn't matter. That's how you win much more so than trying to figure out like, well, how do I become perfect? How do I wake up and always want to eat healthy and always want to exercise? And like all of my meals are like perfect from a macronutrient standpoint. Like that's the grand illusion. Yeah. It's so funny. I remember clearly seeing when Nadolski made that post. And I'm like, man, I wish I thought of that. Because it, it's, it's like, brilliant. It's yeah. true. Yeah. yeah. It's like you messed up once, quote unquote, messed up. So you decide to mess up more because you messed up once. It doesn't make logical sense. Makes right? no sense. But yeah, I got a flat tire. Well, might as well just slash the other three yeah, yeah. because yeah, that because that's not way better. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. Are you tired of spending countless hours grocery shopping, cooking, and preparing your meals? I get it. Time is precious, and that's where Icon Meals comes into play. I've partnered with Icon Meals to bring you delicious, 
macro-friendly, and high-protein meals that will make it easier than ever for you to achieve your fitness goals. I understand that you may have hesitations over the cost of a meal prep service compared to cooking food at home. But let's face it, how often do you spend more money eating out because you didn't have time to prepare your food at home anyways? With Icon Meals, you not only save time, but you invest in your health. These meals are carefully crafted to be healthier and more in line with your fitness goals than most of the food that you eat out anyways. So why wait? Visit iconmeals.com and explore their wide array of mouth-watering meals. And as a special bonus for listening to this podcast, use code JOSEPH10 at checkout for a special discount off of your order. By the way, you can find all of the necessary links in the description of this podcast. Don't let time be a barrier to your success. Choose Icon Meals and fuel your journey towards a healthier, fitter you. So so question for you, if you're working with somebody, right? Let's say they've been doing all of these quick weight loss diets, et cetera, and they're, they're ready to make some change. They understand uh, the mindset that's necessary for long-term change. They understand that they need to start working on small habits. They understand that they need to do something that's sustainable and enjoyable. What are some of the first small habits that you like to work on with people that you think yeah, exactly. perhaps give like the biggest return on investment? Yeah, I, I, the biggest return on investment is going to be the consistency, right? Like that's bar none. So like what helps people be more consistent is more of like, well, what prevents people from becoming their own worst enemy? And there are a lot of tools that I outline in the book and saying that you don't have to apply these all at one time. But Part of it is like we talk about the idea of enjoyment. So something that I do that is counterintuitive with most people is I try and start with, well, what are foods that you truly enjoy Yeah, and you like eating? And I'm like, we're not removing those. Yeah. We're not. Right. So instead of starting from like, here's the things we're going to cut out, we're going to go clean out the pantry. We're getting rid of everything. There's no sugar. It's like, no, what are things that you enjoy? Because I know that when people stay on something long enough, actually their desire to eat that as often or even their need to actually lessens. And we've yes. seen like there's this amazing study in the journal of obesity. It looks like for 24 hours, they asked people to not eat like these certain foods, right? Their desserts. And what ended up happening, they ended up overeating calorically 133% in just one day, right? Because this idea of like what we don't or what we want, but can't have, we end up consuming more of, right? The mm -hmm. idea of trying to prevent people from doing something actually put, is more likely to push them towards it. So I want to make sure it's enjoyable. I want to make sure that they don't feel like they're in this prison of their own making. So we start by saying like, these are foods that you can still eat and we'll create boundaries and rules around like how often you have them. But it's not, I don't start from a position of this is going to suck. I start from a position of, oh, you like these foods? Well, guess what? You're going to lose fat and you're still going to be able to have these. And then I try and understand like, well, where are people going wrong? And Sometimes the things where people are going wrong is, again, where they become their own worst enemy. Great example I give is that most people eat way too fast and they eat distracted. And that isn't yeah. like the highest rate of return, but it's a foundational habit that, you know, average amount of time it takes for essentially stomach to send a signal to your brain until you're full is roughly 20 minutes, right? You don't have to clock right. it, but that's what it is. Average person eats a meal in eight minutes. If you try and have people, and I've done this, eat a meal, take 20 minutes to do it, they struggle. It's hard. Yeah. And part of the reason why like eating slower helps is that it just makes you eat less overall. Yeah. Right. And then also part of this is just like paying more attention, right? There's research that looks at when people are blinded, they can't see the food in front of them versus when they just eat where they're like, uh, yeah, are actually paying attention with their eat. They eat more when they're blinded. It's the, akin to when people are scrolling on their phone or not paying attention because like food provides sensory signals that like help us understand how much we're taking in. 
So teaching people to eat a little bit slower and taking more time is one of those things that doesn't have the highest return of investment, but it's one of those foundational habits of yeah. if you find yourself overeating or you're constantly finding yourself being like way after a meal, why am I so stuffed? I felt like, you know, I wasn't hungry. It's because yeah, you're eating, distracting, you're eating so quickly that it doesn't make a difference. Another one is just understanding that like you can build your plate almost any way you want. It doesn't matter whether you want to be low carb or low fat. And I argue in the book that like you can almost choose a plus one and that is like add carbs or add fat to any meal. What you really want to be more stable is protein and fiber. And that's because like yeah. hunger so much as we're learning more and more is mediated by the brain. And our brain is reacting to a wide variety of signals. So we have to understand how to eat the foods that are most likely to make us feel satisfied. Satisfied, different from enjoyment. Satisfaction just being like, it's going to be that satiety, right? It's going to fill us up. Correct. So if you build a plate around protein and fiber, I don't care what protein is. You can be vegan and you can be, you know, noshing on lentils, or you could go ahead and it's not how I do it. You can be full carnivore. I really don't care, right? You choose the source of protein that fits whatever dietary agenda that you believe in. You focus on a source of fiber, which then fundamentally would probably make you not carnivore because they're kind of anti-fiber, which is so important. Crazy. And <laughs> then the last piece, I don't care if you want to add a starchy carb, a fruit, a vegetable, an avocado, nuts, whatever it might be. You add that and that's going to round it out where either because then you're having kind of a balanced plate if you were to add a fat source with that protein, that fiber, which is a carbohydrate and the fat. Or you might go a little bit higher on carbs if you decide to go a protein, a fiber, and another carbohydrate, but it means it's fundamentally going to be lower in fat. And the idea is if you build your meals around protein and fiber, you're going to do so much in terms of feeling fuller, eating the right things, and it's going to still give you that utility and autonomy to be able to pick some of that, like that side of that complimentary dish, which again, helps make it more yeah. enjoyable. So I, I find that there are all these like little tools just that instead of like, overemphasizing a specific food or a specific style of eating. It's more about, well, how do we get people to slow down so that you can work with your stomach to know when you're full? How do you eat the right foods that like, especially as we start to lose weight, our brain is going to push us towards wanting more food, right? Yes. The more weight we lose, we are going to get hungrier. We're yes. going to desire more food. It's going to be a little uncomfortable, but your body will adjust if you can just survive. So that how do you survive? You eat more of these foods that are more likely to make you feel fuller so that like, even as you're losing weight, you're not constantly pushing yourself towards food, right? You keep in then some of the foods that you want that when you have these cravings, whether, you know, it is a small stack every day or you decide two days per week, you're gonna have this, you just have your allotment that's there of like these foods that I know I love, they're not off limits. So then I don't need to catastrophize when I go ahead and have that treat that I love or I go ahead and have that sugar. It's not like I need to go back to zero and start over. I need to fast yeah. the next day. No, that was actually part of the plan. I try to tell people like, what if falling off the wagon was actually part of the intent yeah. of diet? And like, that's a beautiful place to be because then we don't do the spiraling. Then everything isn't seem like you've made this huge mistake. And you're like, oh, this was okay. I'm not bad. I'm not so some horrible yeah. human. And these are the things that, again, they build that stable foundation as you want to make more progress, there's more that you have to do. But if you always return to some of these foundational tools that make it easier for you to eat and feel fuller and again, not become your own worst enemy where you feel like you're missing out on food or you're eating so fast that you don't even realize that you're overeating, these are things that could be very grounding and just like kind yeah. of like really what I call like base set, right? People want to be grounded so they know they're on the right track. And doing those simple things is the easiest way to go about doing it.
Yeah. It's so funny how like even just getting somebody to change their mindset on like understanding that if you go on vacation or if you go out for a celebration or a wedding, that eating more food, eating things that you don't typically eat as much of is part of the plan and is perfectly normal and acceptable and that you're not doing anything wrong. How simply understanding that inherently the person just like makes better choices and feels less stressed. And I just experienced this with a client of mine who um, has been struggling with his weight pretty much his whole life. We started working together about three or four months ago now. He, you know, for a couple of months had no events, nothing. He's been focusing on his health. He's been focusing on his nutrition. He was doing, he was doing and is still doing really well. And there was a period there where it was his brother's wedding. And he, him and I had a conversation prior and he was really nervous about it. Because he's like, man, like I've had a lot of control here at home. Like, I'm not sure how I'm going to be able to have the same degree of control when I go to my brother's wedding. And so we had a conversation. I'm like, dude, you don't have to have the same amount of control and you even, and you shouldn't. It's just a two or three day trip. This is hopefully a once in a lifetime celebration, right? And right. you should celebrate. You should celebrate your brother. If people are drinking, have some drinks, have some fun, eat whatever you want to do. And let's just set a couple of rules, right? Have a, there all the the quote unquote rules that I like to set with my clients are centered around hunger and satiety regulation. Because my whole idea is if you can eat in a way that regulates your hunger, yes, we don't only eat because we're hungry, but if you can feel fuller the majority of the time, you're less likely to overeat in certain c- circumstances. Right. Right? So yeah. I said things like, let's just have a regular meal schedule, um, still try to get sufficient protein in, and try to have a good amount of fiber on all of your meals. If you do that, you've succeeded. That's all we need to focus on. Right. And he took that to heart, went to the events, came back, and he was like, this is the first time in my life where I haven't stressed out about food and like during a celebration holiday, et cetera. He was like, it was so nice. Like, I just ate the food. I just made sure I had enough protein. I had a, a regular meal schedule and like it was all good and yep. weight stayed stable, nothing. And, and it was, it's so, it's so nice from a coaching perspective to hear your clients. Uh, have success with these small behaviors, right? Um, so I'm really happy you brought that up. Another thing I wanted to touch on was this idea of not telling people what they shouldn't eat, right? Because my whole coaching style, I do not tell people ever what foods not to eat. Like that's not even really a conversation we have. I have generally uh, some educational materials on certain foods that you should limit and why, because they cause you to overeat. They're easier to overeat, right? right? But in general, the whole, the whole approach is not what you should not be doing, but what should you be doing, right? And these are habits, again, all centered around hunger and society regulation. The ones I'm big on, as I just mentioned, regular meal schedule, because the studies like data do show that people who eat at similar times every day have better hunger and society regulation. And you can also prepare ahead of time, which is a huge component as well, right? Like right. if your eating schedules all scattered and now it's lunchtime and you're starving and you haven't prepared, it's harder to stay on track, right? So regular meal schedule, I'm big on eating more earlier in the day versus later in the day for most people, because most people don't make the best food choices before bed. We tend right. to eat healthier earlier in the day, focusing on protein, focusing on fiber, focusing on minimally processed foods and getting a certain like uh, amount of fruits and vegetables per day. Those are like the main foundational habits that I work on with everybody. And with everybody, I tell them, if you do these things, you do not have to focus on what not to eat. So we certainly, we, we essentially have rules of like, I need to get these things in every day. 
and in certain quantities. And then if you have other stuff, that's fine. But typically, focusing on what you should do is a lot more freeing mentally than focusing on what you shouldn't do. And you inherently end up eating less of what you shouldn't be eating as much as. But psychologically, it's just such a a, a much better approach. I I would agree. And I take some of your rule one and two, and I tell people to essentially kind of create uh, boundaries around meals because Mm -hmm. of the same reason that people tend to do better early in the morning, not later at night. And also it sets them into a pattern because, you know, a lot has been made about intermittent fasting, which is a fine tool if you want to use it, but nothing magical, right? So many of the claims about intermittent fasting were very much overblown. So this is not an intermittent fasting thing. But in the same way that you should have parameters around when you work so you don't burn out, you should have boundaries on when you eat because a lot of people will mindlessly eat at any time of day. And I like to say that, you know, in general, if you want to prevent yourself from being your own worst enemy without having to worry about food, same as you, have an open kitchen, closed kitchen policy. Right. Kitchen opens at a certain time. You can set the time. Let's not overthink this. What time does the kitchen open based on your lifestyle? What time does the kitchen close? But if kitchen is open all hours a day. Right. Like no one's out here starving. Right. And if it's like 1130 at night and you're bored and you find yourself in your kitchen, I can tell you what's going to happen. Yeah. (laughs) You're going to overeat. And if you do it once in a while, guys, it's not the end of the world. Right. Like no single meal or single food is the death blow to your diet. and you want to put these little rules in place that make certain routine that after a certain time of day, whatever day that time of day is, is for you, kitchen's closed, right? Chef is out for the day. So it's like, drink some water, read a book, watch a TV show. Yeah. I can tell you, you go to your kitchen later at night, you're going to end up overeating and you're going to underestimate how much you overate. And it's, again, it's got nothing to do with like a fasting window. It's got more to do with like setting behaviors where like, because we have food abundance, we've just taught ourselves that we can eat as often, as frequently, and as much as we want. And yeah. we can't get rid of food abundance, but what we can do is just have rules in terms of like, all right, after 10 p.m., I'm not going to eat anymore because I just, I don't need it. Yeah. So I, I found that in general, like people are understand that because like, if you want to go to a restaurant at a certain hour at night and it's closed, you just don't end up getting the food, right? You go to bed and you like live to see another day and you can kind of apply the same rhetoric in your own home. Hey guys, some of you may not know that I'm the scientific advisor for a supplement company called Outwork Nutrition. I help with the formulation of new products to help ensure that they're effective and backed by science. Unlike many other supplement companies out there, we don't rely on exaggerated claims or flashy marketing tactics. Instead, we let the science speak for itself. We take pride in formulating products that deliver real results, helping you achieve your fitness goals in a meaningful way. If you're in the market for supplements like protein powder, pre-workout, or recovery products, make sure to check us out at outworknutrition.com. And as a thank you for being an avid listener of this podcast, use code Joey for an exclusive discount at checkout. You can find the link to our website down in the description of this podcast episode. Remember, our goal is to empower you with science-backed supplements that truly make a difference. Choose Outwork Nutrition and elevate your fitness to new heights. Yeah, I forget who said this. It, it might have been Lane. It, it, regardless of who said it, it's uh, like restriction is necessary, but it shouldn't feel restrictive. Like you should feel you should choose a form of restriction that feels less restrictive for you, and that's going to be different for everybody. And that's why, as you mentioned, a plan can look a thousand different ways, yes. right? And one of my favorite sayings, and Stan Efferding says this, it's com- compliance is the science, right? So if you are able to 
restrict things in a way that doesn't feel restrictive to you, you're going to be more likely to comply. And if you're more likely to comply, you're going to have success. It may take a little bit longer than you want it to, but you're going to have success, right? right? And there's a ton to talk about there too, about expectations and like how quickly you want to see results, because that's an, a very important piece of mindset. And like, I think a big issue is that we all tend to compare ourselves to other people, right? And it's funny because some of the videos that I've made that have had some of the most positive feedback has been about like my personal change in perspective when it comes to health and fitness. Like when I was in college, so similar to you, I was pretty unhealthy, overweight as a young teenager when I was 12, 13 years old. Um, and a lot of it came down to the fact that like my family didn't really know about like healthy dieting. And not that we ate very unhealthy either, but like I would drink a lot of juice and stuff like that, right? That's like very calorically dense, doesn't do much for hunger and society. And I would drink Capri Sun like all day long. So I was a pretty overweight it's, kid. It's, it's delicious. I get it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then and then I really got into health and fitness because both my parents actually worked out regularly and they were in great shape. So it's kind of interesting that I was overweight as a young kid and both my parents were in really good shape. But then I became obsessed with fitness and just having all the time in the world in like my early 20s or even when I was just starting college, I always had a six pack. I was always really lean. Like that was what I strived for. And now I remember I made a video in particular, probably one of the most successful videos that I've had. I just started the video by saying, like, I don't have a six pack anymore. Here's why. And here's why I don't want to have a six pack, right? Like, it was easier before because I had more time. I also wasn't in the same financial situation, you know, as a 19, 20 year old, I was broke. So I couldn't really go out to restaurants, even if I wanted to. Caloric restriction, much easier. When yes, no yes, money. exactly, <laughs> exactly. Right. So all of these things made it easier to be lean and like, now I have a family. I enjoy going out to dinner once or twice per week. I don't want to restrict myself when I go to dinner. But like, just because I don't have a six pack doesn't mean that I'm not healthy, right? I'm incredibly strong. I focus on building muscle. I'm lean. I'm not overweight by any means. My blood lipids are fine. Like, I'm healthy. And people need to understand that as well, because I do work with a ton of clients who are already healthy and they want to get to that next level. And I tell them, like, there's nothing wrong with that. Just understand that the more superficial your goals are, the more difficult they're going to be to achieve because you may not be willing to make the sacrifices that are necessary, right? Like if you're already healthy and you already look pretty good, but like you go out to dinner two or three times per week, you have some wine, um, you know, maybe you don't want to spend X amount of time uh, doing exercise. Maybe you travel frequently and like. The unfortunate reality is that if you want to get to that next level, like you have to sacrifice some of those things, right? Because we're talking, right. this whole conversation is about like, what things do you need to change? How can you change them, change them without them feeling restrictive? But at a certain point, there are certain things that you're just like not willing to change. Like you mentioned, right. what do you want your lifestyle to look like? And unfortunately, the harsh reality is that sometimes the lifestyle that you want doesn't agree with the physique that you want, Right. right. Yes. And again, people will say, well, this person does this and looks like this. It's like, well, genetics is a component like we were talking about at the beginning. Unfortunately, you know, genetics determine what you can achieve. Like that's that's essentially the truth, right? People to, to a certain degree, I guess genetics determine what your potential is and then your lifestyle will influence how much of that potential you you uh, realize. Right. Right. You, and some people pretend to like. The, the danger of social media, and this is not pointing the finger at any individual 
uh, is there's there's two realities that we have to acknowledge. One, there are people, and I know these people who are like, I eat ice cream every single week, and they like do videos, and they don't. Yeah, they don't. They don't. I'm not. I'm not saying this so that they don't because like social media is a game where they will tell you yeah, what yeah. they know you want to hear, but the way they live their life is def is different than what they're doing to get likes. And another one, which is variable, which is neither here nor there, but is a reality when people get into the self-comparison. There are a lot of people out there who are on different pharmaceutical substances yes, that yes, yes. bend the rules of reality. And that's yeah. no moral judgment because my hope is if they do that and they're doing it with medical care, it's fine. Yeah. It's truly fine. I don't care what you're doing if like your, your body is your body. But when you play the game of comparison... Yes. And you're like, I'm doing the same thing as that person, like better when you factor in the genetics, when you factor in what they say they're doing might not be true. And when you factor in the fact that they might have a whole extra like testosterone or who knows what running through their yeah, body, yeah, yeah. that does bend it. And that's why it's just like, it's not about what these other people are doing. It's the idea of comparing two people. We don't know, right? Like that's what makes social media. Social media has got a lot of beautiful things. We got to connect, but like social media ends up as people know it. it's a highlight reel or it's. People are creating their own self-perception. You have no idea what's truly going on in someone's home, in someone's life. And this applies to more than fitness. So like the idea of self-comparison can be such a death spiral because th that perception might not even be close to reality. Those people might be miserable. I got no idea, right? So the idea of figuring out what you want your goals to be, figuring out what you want your lifestyle to look like, understand that if your goals and your lifestyle are not aligned, Mm -hmm. something's got to give either yeah. change your goal or change your lifestyle and understand that like there is such thing as I, I don't like the word like balance I think it's the idea of like harmony like you can find a harmony within your life because complete balance is kind of a misnomer yeah I don't think anyone has perfect balance but you can find harmony where you find that sweet spot yeah where things just feel good and the more that you want to push towards being able to eat more and have more freedom or the more you want to push towards having like more extreme fitness or aesthetic goals the more there is to sacrifice so the harmony looks a little different and i think as long as people are aware of those trade-offs yeah then they can have the right to choose what feels right for them and if it changes over time like you said your harmony your goals your balance was different than when you were in 20s right now me yeah. in my 40s my life looks very different than what it looked like in my 30s and very different than what it looked like in my 20s because what I want my life to look like and how I change, you know, how I use my time and where I want to put my energy or what makes me happiest or what makes me feel best changes. And that's a beautiful thing, right? I think yeah. like we all like, I think a goal of life is to continually evolve and figure out what makes you feel best with the time that you have and roll with it, right? I was saying there was a time where like having a six pack was a big goal. I could care less now. Now, I care a ton about my health. I walk around with an unknown disease. I got two young boys that I want to see grow up. I've got a wife that I want to take care of. I care more about my health now mm -hmm. than I did 20 years ago when I looked better. I just understand what true health for me in my 40s right. looks like now as opposed to aesthetically driven uh ego vanity 100% based and there's a little ego or vanity it's, there's nothing wrong with wanting to look good yeah 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 nothing at all but like 
that was the primary driver. I wasn't thinking about kids or wife yeah. or health in my twenties. <laughs> and I certainly yeah. am now. And if you would compare me overall, I'm way healthier. Am I is shredded? No, but I'm yeah. healthier. I'm yeah. happier. I'm yeah. hurt a lot less often. And I'm able to still eat like all the things that I want without any guilt or shame and still be healthy at the same time. And it's like, and and that is like for me, and that's not for anyone else. For me, that was the North Star. That's where I want to go. And and the goal is to keep on figuring that out. Yeah. I mean, completely unrelated. You definitely don't look like you're in your 40s, dude. <laughs> you look fantastic. Seriously. No, but when you said that. you were in your 40s, I was like, really? I doubt that. But that's awesome, man. Um, yeah. You know, one thing here you mentioned a while back and you just brought back up again. It's like when people focus on like making progress while eating as much as possible. That's something that I bring up to my clients all the time. Like, listen, man, my goal is like, I literally want you to eat as much as possible and make it progress. Because like, why would you want to eat as little as possible? Like not enjoyable at all, right? right? Right. And so, and this is a conversation I've had, I can't tell you how many times where, so most of my clients who I start working with them, if they've never learned how to appropriately track calories and stuff, I do like to spend at least a couple months on that because I think it's a great learning tool. And I've said that a number of times on this, on this podcast, it's like, I think learning how to track your calories and learning how to make appropriate substitutions is part of getting to a place where you don't have to do that and you can eat more intuitively. But if you never take time to do that, how do you know, like, is this too much? What substitutions can I make to this plate to make it a little bit less calorically dense? Right. So I've had these conversations and I've given certain recommendations to my clients and they're like, that's a lot of calories. I usually eat this many and it's like several hundred below. And I'm like, well, let's do this and see what happens. And they start losing weight and like they start making progress on a consistent rate. And, you know, inevitably they're like, should I be losing weight quicker? That's a conversation that comes up all the time. And I, we talk about, like, you know, all progress is any progress. But then I always ask them, like, how difficult does this feel compared to what you've done before? Right. And they're like, oh, it, it's not that hard at all. I'm like, do you feel really hungry at all? They're like, no, I feel I feel fine. And I'm like, then why would you want to do anything different? You know, like, just have a little bit of patience. Sure, it takes a little bit longer, but inevitably you'll be in a better place than you've ever been before. And you will feel like you can maintain it forever. One thing Lane says all the time that is so perfectly worded is that nobody pays attention or even thinks about the diet after the diet, right? Right. Meaning like, I'm going to do this now and nobody thinks about what the hell they're going to do after that's done. It's so funny, man. It's like such a common way of thinking for most people. It's hard for me to relate because I've, I don't think, I guess when I was younger, I've done things like that, but I've never done that as like a fully grown adult, like in my twenties, I'm not 30 yet. I'm 29, but like, I've never really thought that way. So it's really hard to relate, but working with individuals that do think that way, I'm like, wow, this type of thinking is so prevalent. My wife's uncle called me and he's been struggling with his weight his whole life. I can't tell you how many times he's lost considerable weight, like 30, 40, 50 pounds, puts it right back on. Right. And so he knows that I work not, not a typical either, not a typical either. Correct. That is, that is common. Yeah. yeah. And so he knows what I do professionally. He gives me a call one day. We have a, a phone call and he tells me what his plan is. Right. And every time he loses weight, he goes no carb, which again, whatever, n- nothing inherently wrong with it. But like that's his number one plan. Actually, I'll change that. There is something wrong with going no carb. There's no point of going no carb. But anyways, that that was his dietary plan. Keep in mind, no, th- he he drinks a good amount, but no thought about limiting alcohol at all, right? So error number one. And then two, he is going to go from zero structured exercise. And I say structured exercise because his job is a very active job, but zero structured exercise 
to doing Orange Theory for 60 minutes twice daily for the next three or four months. And twice, twice days, double days, twice, double days. So that was his plan. And so we had a conversation like I asked him, I was like, how long do you think you'll keep that up? Like, do you think you could do that forever? And he was like, oh, no. And he actually starts laughing. He's like, there's no way I could do that forever, but I could do it for three or four months. And I was like, yeah, but like, you're just going to gain weight like you have every single time. Like, how about you just do it two or three times a week? And if that's easy to sustain, like then when you start enjoying it, you can add a little bit more. Anyways, it didn't go the way it should because <laughs> uh, like unfortunately people also don't really value just like free advice that's one thing i've learned with time as well or um, or ones from family members as well yeah or, exactly or really close friends i got friends who are doing stuff and i'll just keep my mouth shut yeah like, i do this for do you want do you want my no yeah go Go. It's a, it's unfortunate, man. And I, you know, I've shared incredible resources, go out of my time to look at, to, to, to share articles, share books, share podcast episodes, but it's just like, unless the person is invested an investment doesn't have to be financially, right. It could be, uh, you know, any emotional investment, et cetera. But like, unless there's some sort of investment, people are just not going to take it seriously, unfortunately. Um, yeah, Adam, I wanted to finish this conversation with one last thing because one of the big things that you touch on in your book is like being able to stay on plan and make progress towards your goal without having to make drastic changes in the way you live your life, which includes eating out, right? And you have a whole section in your book, which is beautiful, <laughs> talking about like the most uh, common restaurants and what type of food choices to make at those restaurants. Um, and for anybody who's interested in that, check out the book, like literally every, I, I went through it and I'm like, there's no way he covered like every restaurant and like most restaurants are there and giving you really good food options there. Right. What are some of the general things that people can do when they go out to eat to have a healthy meal? Right. And what are some of the things that they can look out for in, in foods like hidden fats or sugars, et cetera. And how can you get around those things so that you feel pretty comfortable that you've had a healthy meal that aligns with your overall goal? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, so much of this book was built out of, I went through a period of my life where every single week, Tuesday through Thursday, I traveled and I was eating out a lot because it was just, my life was on the road. It was a very chaotic time of life. And I started with my own health until I really thought and put a lot more intention into what I was eating out. The number one thing to know is like, if you eat out, it's okay. I talked about those 500 people who did the program. I required people to eat out two to three times per week. Oh, that's cool. I was like, if you want to be a part of this, you're not, you're not being charged anything. You get to work with me for free. You can see these programs, but you got to eat out two to three times per week. And that is a mental barrier because people just associate. They're like, well, I'm, I can't get healthy. I'm like, I want you to see you can do this. Can you eat out seven times per week? No, nah, probably not, right? But like poison in the dose, two to three times per week, I want you to eat out. And then there's ways to navigate it, right? And so many of those things just rely on the, the exact same principles and tools that we talk about of finding meals that have protein and fiber in them. And if there's sides like, don't worry about it, especially if you're like focusing on those foods that are more likely to uh, keep you more sated, keep you feeling fuller. That's going to be great. And it's not demonizing individual foods. Like a lot of times we'll think like a, a sandwich is bad or a burger is bad. And it's not necessarily the sandwich or the burger. It's everything else that is in there or certain types of foods. The issue is more in the oil sauce marinade Correct. than in the entree itself. And saying that I Correct. did, you know, the the publisher ended up taking these pictures out, but I would order foods where like, especially now with all these you know food apps, you can say, and I'm very specific, I want a quarter of the oil. Are they actually going to like do the exact amount? No, but the idea of having 
just one fourth of oil means it's going to be dramatically less. So I would order from a place exact same dishes, one making no recommendations, one with a quarter oil. And you look at the food itself. It doesn't even look like the same meal. And I would do the same thing yeah. with sauces, all sauces, oils, dressings you ask for on the side. And normally at most takeout places, they will give you anywhere from like two to four of these containers. You throw out all of them, but one, you use just one of those containers and you do it. And it sounds so funny. But when we talk about like calorie density, yeah, right? like there's nothing wrong with fat, but fat is much more calorically dense. You got the yes. nine calories per gram. And these liquids, you don't realize how little a tablespoon yes. is. It's why to your point of like doing a week of tracking gives you an idea of like, wow, a tablespoon is what I've told people when they want to know like how much oil or dressing. And I'm like, fill the cap of your olive oil. Yeah. And that's about what you should use. And people are like, that, that, yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. there's nothing in there. Like, yeah, that that's how little yeah. it is. So if you understand that so many of these foods, you can just like literally tell them to put a fraction of the amount of oil or put them all on the side, use a fraction of what they give you. That alone is saving people hundreds of calories. And when you get these dishes that do, they've got vegetables in them, they've got protein in them, they've got to have a starchy or fibrous carb, but then it's all the extras that they try to like over flavor things that are causing yeah. problems. The idea is these simple minor things that really are not a burden whatsoever can make eating out much easier. Or like you said, I took the top 50 most visited restaurants in yeah. the US just by revenue. And I went through and there's literally only one restaurant on there where there's just like, nothing. There, there's nothing within the caloric range. Everything else, there are always options. What is it? What is it? I, I'm going to blank right now. Okay, it's okay. Um, it's okay. No, it's going to drive me. Now this is going to drive me nuts. There's one out of the 50 where I'm like, you guys, if you go there, eat, enjoy, don't sweat it. <laughs> Everything I said, it wasn't like, I'm not going to McDonald's and saying, here, only get the salads. Because yeah, that, yeah. to me, that's like, that's a cheat. And also sometimes that's also sometimes a misnomer because some of those salad, salads are the most caloric things. You can go to yes. like a Chili's and they've like got 2000 calorie <laughs> salads and it's unreal. So the job was like, I want you to see that when you're eating out, it, does, it can actually be an enjoyable experience yes. where you're not you know, pigeonholed towards these options, which like you're not even excited about at yeah. all. Because again, get to the great point you made earlier, the more that you can make this enjoyable, the more it can be sustainable and the sustainability, the consistency, that's where the science is because anything that you can follow that is good enough or better for you for a longer period of time, that's where you're going to see the changes you desire. And that is, that's the true cheat code of health. Yeah, it is, man. Like the actionable recommendations I usually give clients, like if you go to a restaurant, a sit down restaurant, Try to make your meal as simple as possible while still enjoying it, right? Like make sure you have at least a fistful of protein, a lean protein source, whether that's steak, chicken, whatever it is. When it's a mixed dish, it's a lot more difficult to actually know, right? So try to keep it simple if possible. Have a, at least a handful of so of vegetables. And then like you mentioned, add whatever you want on the side. And ideally, you know, if it's a side that is simple, again, you can know whether or not it's loaded with a ton of additional fat. Right. And I'm huge on minimizing sauces for the same reason that you mentioned. And man, for drinks, just have some diet soda. If you like soda, there's nothing wrong with getting some artificial sweeteners in your diet. Um, I think the data is very well established on that now. And people, that's another thing that people freak out about. Um, Wait, then, did you hear about, didn't you hear about the DNA toxicity? The DNA toxicity? I haven't, I haven't heard about that. No. Is that a new thing? 
No, no, there was that. That was the uh, what was it? It was the was it the aspartame? It wasn't Splenet. And there's that's when they were like saying there was like cancer? toxic and cancer, yeah. but it was like, right. It was the it was like a petri dish study. And yeah, was, yeah. And there well, was like, I just made you're having made... like tens of thousands. Of, like the yeah. dose was so high that it was not even be possible for human consumption. That is yes the the nature of artificial sweetener research and fear. It epitomizes everything that is wrong with wellness because it yeah. bastardizes findings in order to create fear. And with fear, you can prey on people. And that's yeah. the last thing that we should be doing. Well, the issue, Adam, is not the science, is the way that it's it's communicated. Correct. Right? Because like yes. this whole uh I'm sure you saw it the the IARC's recommendation or new classification of aspartame. Her- carcinogenic now yeah. yeah possibly carcinogenic right and people are just like it causes cancer it's like no like you have to explain what possibly carcinogenic means in that context right and when you look at it from an objective standpoint like yeah it falls into that category the issue is that that category doesn't really mean yeah much. you know it's more carcinogenic according to that to that ranking one of these yeah, yeah, yourself on, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. exactly or working in a hair salon lifetime exposure to chemicals working in a hair salon is another one um, and then, you know, when you look at the, cause dose, people don't talk about dose and it's like, listen, the FDA has established guidelines for doses for these chemicals, right? And the dose for a 200 pound person, such I'm, I'm more than 200 pounds, but let's say I was 200 pounds. It would be equivalent to having 1800 diet sodas in one sitting to have an adverse reaction in that particular setting, which is a very high amount of diet soda, right? Now, um, you, you've just, you've provided a challenge for me so i'm now yeah. going to try and have i'll hold you to it man 1800 yeah no, it is uh it's it's always interesting because yeah. headlines sell right and yeah. like you said it's a matter of communication and people need to know that you know reading headlines is probably one of the worst ways to yeah. build your nutrition identity because yeah. it will pull you in every which way and you will lose your mind yeah and one of the best ways is to listen to people like you and myself yeah. <laughs> but one last thing I wanted to say about That's the eating the out thing. Yeah, that is the endorsement. <laughs> one last thing I wanted to say about the eating out thing, which is something that I practice. It's like if you go out to a fast food, let's say McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, whatever it is, sometimes like the meal that you choose doesn't necessarily have less calories, but it can help you feel fuller for longer, which in and of itself is a win, right? To right. for 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 context here. My wife loves Chick-fil-A. Like if we ever go on a, uh, we have to drive somewhere far away, whatever, we usually stop is Chick-fil-A. And my wife loves French fries. I don't really care for French fries too much. So she always has her sandwich and she has the fries on the side with some ketchup. I typically get the sandwich and that doesn't fill me up. So I get a side of the grilled chicken nuggets, right? And I'll have the sauce as well. And calorically, it's actually not that different. But it keeps me full for a very long time, right? Calorically, it's a little bit less. The chicken nuggets definitely have less calories than the fries. But it's just, you know, because people think like, oh, I'll have the sandwich and like not have the fries at all because I can't have the side. It's like, how about you just choose an alternate side that helps with the things that you're trying to achieve, right? Maybe getting a little bit more protein or a little bit more fiber, helping with hunger and satiety regulation. And then maybe in this specific meal, you didn't actually eat that much less, but maybe in the next meal you do, or maybe you don't snack between this meal and the next one. So it's like, those little things are things that are like kind of nuanced, but very simple. And people typically don't think about, um, anyways, Adam, I've really enjoyed this conversation, man. Again, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to speak with me. If people want to learn more about you, where can they follow you and how can they find your book? Yeah. Anywhere on social, you can find me at born fitness and my book 
All booksellers have it, Amazon. But if you want more specific details, you can go to can'tscrewthisup.com. I love that URL. It's can'tscrewthisup.com. So if you screw it up, I, I truly don't know what to tell you. But uh, I appreciate you having me out today. This is a wonderful conversation. So thank you for your time. Of course, man. And all the links will be down in the description.